Good morning. Hey, if you're a guest with us, I'm glad that you're here this morning. We're honored that you would uh, come and uh, spend time with us and bring your attention and focus to Jesus this morning. Um, whether you're a guest or this is your church home, uh, there's a Connect card in the seat back that's in front of you. And I know we mention this every day, but let me tell you just a little bit about our church. Uh, we come from a, a church background that is um, elder governed. And so our elders kind of lead this church. We're an independent Christian church. We don't have a, uh, we don't have like a, any kind of a, a regional or a national uh, body that directs us and leads us. Instead, the church uh, has elders. And these elders, according to what Scripture teaches, are called to be shepherds, caretakers. And one of our uh, deepest concerns is making sure that uh, our elders are able to connect to and take care of, spiritually speaking, the people at New Hope. One of the ways that we do that, and I, I really mean this in a genuine way, I know we repeat it often, uh, but it's just important for you to keep in mind that our elders who lead this church and spiritually take care of this church meet together every Saturday morning. And when we meet together, uh, we uh, have these prayer requests that you put on these connect cards. They get typed up early in the week and sent to us so we can be praying during the week. And then on Saturday mornings, every Saturday, we meet at 7 o'clock in the morning and uh, we drink coffee to stay awake and... Uh, we make sure that we spend some time reading over and praying over your concerns. Um, it's really important to us, and it's important to fulfill that calling biblically to be caretakers, to be shepherds of God's people. And so when you fill that out, you're allowing us a great honor uh, to be there for your family and to be praying for you. So take some time uh, while the sermon and, and afterwards, fill that card out. There'll be an offering tray that's passed. So uh, after communion, there'll be a tray that's passed, and you can just put the Connect card right in that train, and it will get to us. Hey, we're, we're in a series uh, preaching through the gospel of Mark. We've been in the series for quite a while, and uh, we've got about four more weeks in the series before we transition to uh, preaching through some of the, uh, the Old Testament over the summer. And so um, thank you for bearing with us. I hope it's been kind of feeding you the way that it's been feeding me. I've just had a joy uh, walking through Mark with you, and we'll continue to do that for the next few weeks. But let's pray, and we'll jump in this morning. Father, thank you for being so good to us. God, I'm grateful just to be able to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and not worry about uh, explosions and violence the way some of our brothers and sisters have experienced in the last few weeks. Um, thank you for that. Thank you that we come into here, into this place, and we, we can sit comfortably and we can open your word and have so much access to your word. And I'm just very grateful this morning for that. So God, my prayer, in addition to one of gratitude, would be one request. Would you speak to us this morning? Would you speak clearly to our hearts and minds? Have us remember what you want us to remember and erase from our minds what you'd have us to forget. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, one of the big regrets that I have uh, growing up in Florida, uh, I grew up in South Florida on the beach, and one of my regrets was I did not do a lot of fishing. Um, so now that I'm a dad, I don't really have uh, the ability to really teach my kids a ton about fishing. I wish I would have done that more. So I grew up on, like right on the beach in Florida, and had access to all these awesome outdoor activities and just didn't do a lot of it. Didn't have a strong uh, a father influence that, that was into those activities. And so I didn't get to do that. But I did have a very close friend that I enjoyed spending time with. And he loved to fish. And so often I would go with him to watch or to hang out. And every once in a while he would have enough patience to try to get me to fish. And we would go out to the pier at the beach um, early one morning or even at night sometimes. And we would begin uh, to fish. And I just remember him always telling me, Rob, if you ever want to catch a fish, you got to think like a fish. And I just thought that was dumb. Uh, 
didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but he began to explain it. I'll put it into my own words. He kind of told me, he said, hey, to a fish, life is really about the maximum amount of satisfaction and gratification at the minimum amount of effort. They don't want to work hard. They just want what's right in front of them. All they can see what's in front of them. You know, see, bait, want bait, eat bait. See, a snapper is, is never usually going to ponder why his life has no meaning, right? And really, a, a girl tarpon's never going to say to a boy tarpon, I don't feel that you're committed to this relationship. I think you just want me for my body. Those, those kind of things never happen with fish. They're just dumb. They, they're just a collection of appetites, right? They're just eyes and a mouth and a stomach, and that's it. And while not much of a fisherman growing up, though I wish that I would have been, uh, I have always been fascinated by just how dumb these creatures are. Uh, they're just not intelligent, right? Think about it, right? Hey, fish, bite this. Swallow this thing. It's not the real thing. It's just a lure. You'll think it'll feed you, right? But it's only going to trap you. And if you would look closely, fish, that you would see the hook. And you would know that when you bite onto this hook, everything is over for you. Uh, life is ended, but they don't. They just don't seem to learn. You would think over time, fish would be like recognize, hey, that's not just bait. I see the hook. I see the line. I know what they're doing here. Or you would, you'd maybe think uh, that they would notice that every one of their friends that went and bit the hook flew to outer space and never came back. And, but no, fish don't do that. We usually, it's ironic, we say fish swim together in what? But they don't ever learn, do they? Right? And aren't you glad that we're smarter than them? Today we're going to be talking about temptation. That's what the passage is going to address in the Gospel of Mark this morning. This idea that we're tempted by things. There's something on the end of a hook. And a temptation is just something that appeals to our passions or our desires or pleasures. But it's attached to a hook called sin. A hook that wants to wreak havoc on our lives. Destroy our families. Destroy the legacies that we have the ability to leave. Destroy the marriages that we should be investing into. Destroy the friendships that we should be investing in. You see, what we're baited by is always on the edge of a hook that wants to destroy us. And so a couple things I want us to pay attention to today as we begin to study this passage in the Gospel of Mark. One is this. When it comes to temptation, keep this in mind, that there is always more at stake than we think there is. When it comes to you being tempted, no matter what the temptation is, there's always more at stake than you think there is. There's always a hook behind the bait every single time, and it's always wanting to do more damage than you think that it's going to do. The second thing to keep in mind is this, that our ability to withstand or avoid that temptation, our ability to see that hook, to see that line, and to understand that that bait is only going to lead to destruction, our ability to notice that reveals, reveals the confidence that we have in the gospel. The confidence that we have in God. So two things, okay, keep, keep that in mind. There's always more at stake than you think there is when it comes to your temptations. And I think all too often we're told to ignore them or pretend that they're not there or just pay them no attention. But there's always more at stake with temptation than you think there is. And how you approach your temptations will reveal the level of dependency that you have, the level of confidence that you have in the person and work of Jesus. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 9. And I always want us to approach Scripture with a sense of reverence. And so I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. We're going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to walk slowly through that passage. Would you stand with me? We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Jesus says these words, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, 
to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. This is one of those passages that, uh, to be quite honest with you, it's a little more difficult to preach. And it's uh, the reason why it's just slightly more difficult for, for me to preach this morning is because it's pretty, it's a call to a radical discipleship. Now, discipleship, uh, to be a disciple of Jesus is to like be an apprentice. It's to say the way I, I'm going to study the way that Jesus lived and I'm going to try my best to live my life the way that he lived. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And so this is a call to a radical form of discipleship. One that requires that we're extremely serious with sin and extremely serious with holiness. Something I think, and I'm just going to be very honest with you, the church uh, has oftentimes lost. A seriousness about sin and a seriousness about holiness. Look at just some of the phrases that Jesus uses here in this passage. He says there's a downfall. He references various parts of the body. He talks about hell and salt and fire and crippled and lame and blind. And if you read through your New Testament, you'll notice he he does this in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 18, Luke chapter 14. He's going to reference the same type of teachings all throughout the Gospels. All all the Gospel writers recognize these phrases and these words that Jesus used, which tells us this. Jesus taught this kind of radical discipleship over and over and over again. This isn't something he just said once. There's a weight to the teaching that we're about to explore this morning. And this weight tells us that Jesus took what he said here very seriously and wanted all of his followers to take it as serious as he did. But there's also a tone. You see, there's a weight to the text, but there's a tone to the text as well. And the tone I want you to hear is one of endearing care. See, don't hear this like a bunch of religious rules that you better go out and start doing or you're going to be in trouble. That's not the tone. That deals with a little bit of the content, and we'll get to that. The tone, though, is one of a, if you think about a a dad who loves his kids dearly, and he wants them desperately to understand that that bait is not what they think it is. The bait is is always going to cost you more than you think it's going to cost you. There's a hook behind that bait, and I just want you to recognize the hook and the line and the enemy above the water that wants to destroy your life. So keeping that in mind, Jesus is going to have two shifts in this passage. The first one is dealing with uh, when you are the person responsible for tempting somebody else to then sin. And so how serious does Jesus take our participation in certain activities that will lead somebody else to sin? Look at how he says it in verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. So if, if you're responsible for that, let's see how serious he takes it. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It's intense. Jesus doesn't seem to be playing around here. You see, this is a warning. Jesus is saying the spiritual maturity of other people should matter greatly to you. That's essentially what he's saying there. The the spiritual development of other Christians should matter greatly to you. Paul would use words like consider other people more important than yourself. When you look at the maturity of other people, take it very seriously where they're at in their walk with the Lord and what role you should play in developing that maturity. And when you don't take that seriously and instead you try to enter into these relationships to satisfy your own desires, whether that's 
the, the words that you're saying or what you're trying to get somebody to participate in and, and do, when you're responsible for that, Jesus takes it extremely serious. In fact, it kind of sounds like he's saying when you bring spiritual harm to God's children, you better watch out. When you're responsible for causing one of God's kids to sin because of your own selfish desires, you better be careful. R.T. France is a New Testament scholar. He says it this way, to be the cause of another spiritual downfall or shipwreck is so serious an offense that a quick drowning would be preferable to the fate that it deserves. That's also rather intense. So how does this play out in our world today? I want to be really honest with you. Understand that there is grace for all of this. But oftentimes, because of, uh, the, just to be honest with you, the, the state of maybe Christianity in our country, we want to push grace to the point that we don't take sin and holiness seriously. Grace does take care of all of the sin and, ho- and makes you holy. However, you must also part- uh, pay attention to the weight and seriousness of sin in your life. And so how, does, how do you see this kind of play out when we're responsible for having, tempting somebody else to then sin and fall, apart, fall away from God because the hook begins to destroy their lives? Well, I, there's, you could make a list, and I'm sure that you could, and your list would be like, yeah, I see it all over the place. I, I'm going to offer two things that I see in my uh, life as a pastor, someone who gets to sit with people continually and listen to what's going on in their lives. And just looking at our culture, there's two big ones that I see this take place among Christians. And the first is gossip. Gossip. You see, when we use our words to invite somebody else into our toxic mind, and the way that we're thinking negatively about a person, a situation, or an event, and we then tempt them to adopt our negative mindset by using our words to speak negatively about things, what we're doing is tempting them to then sin in their own minds. We're then tempting them to have a negative opinion about another person or another situation. And we justify our gossip, right? Many of us will say, well, I'm just always going to be an honest person, as though closing our mouth prevents us from being honest. I'm just always an open book. That's just the way I am. I'm going to tell it like it is. Sometimes telling it like it is causes more harm than it does good. And when we gossip and we invite people to be, participate in this with our words, what we're doing is getting them that much closer to biting onto a hook that will destroy their relationships, destroy their thought life, and prevent them from focusing on the Lord. So we have to be careful in that arena. The other arena that I see it in is sexual temptation. When we make specific decisions with our life in an effort to tempt somebody else to satisfy our sexual needs or to to play out a fantasy that we're living in our head, we're tempting them to take steps closer to biting the bait and having a hook destroy their life. This plays out in a lot of different ways in our world. I understand it takes two to tango, but if that initial intent were taken care of, the dance would never happen. And so we see the bait of being emotionally understood and we begin to talk to people in an emotional way that are not our spouse and invite them into parts of our life that they were never intended to be a part of and then tempt them to participate in that relationship, causing them then to sin as well. Or we just see the bait of our physical uh, fantasies playing out, and so we tempt other people to take things too far. We're dating somebody, and we begin to tempt them sexually to participate in something because we can't control ourselves. Or you see the bait of what it would feel like to just be, have people pay attention to you. Now, look, I'm not here to, 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 to get on anybody's dress, but if the motivation 
for what we put on and the way we conduct our behavior and the way we behave is to get someone else to think sexually about us, we're causing them to be tempted. Doesn't, there's no regulation here. I'm not saying, well, you can wear this, you can't. But if your motivation, the state of your heart is to say, if I wear this, that person will think about me sexually and I'll have their attention. You've got to watch that. Watch. We have to take sin seriously. This is what Jesus does in this passage. He takes sin extremely seriously. It's as if he's saying, when it comes to my children and you causing them to be tempted and then sin, you'd be better off dying than facing the punishment that awaits you. See, he's a good dad. He's protecting his children from a hook that will destroy them, from a bait that looks really good, but it is nothing but deceitful. The shift takes place in the next few verses where Jesus goes from then talking about when you cause somebody else to be tempted and then sin to then the temptation that you deal with on your own, in your own heart. And we've all been tempted in a variety of ways. I mean, some of your earliest memories were probably being tempted by certain things. I know mine were. I have a very common temptation that I may or may not have participated in and then bit the bait and got hooked and got in trouble walking through a grocery store as a little kid. Anybody? Is anyone? First service just judged me. I don't know about you guys. But I was, I was walking through a grocery store, and a candy bar is what I wanted. I was a kid, which meant no money. So I put said candy bar in my pocket and just walked out of the store. Innocent and easy enough, right? But it continues to, to bait you, or at least it did for one man. I found this story. This is so great and horrible all at once. Uh, I found this story, uh, and I'm not going to tell you his name so you can't Google him, but a 38-year-old man in New Jersey was actually arrested for robbing the same 7-Eleven convenience store four times in three and a half days at knife point for candy. So he went the first day and robbed it and got his candy. He went the second day. And here's the kicker. He didn't seem to have changed his clothing. Here's how the news reported it. Approximately 14 hours, this is the last time he robbed the store, 14 hours later on the same day, the defendant wearing the same clothing from the robbery came back to the 7-Eleven, went to the back of the store, took the merchandise, and left the store, only to be followed by the manager from the first robbery who jumped over the counter, alerted the police, pointed him out, and he was arrested for armed robbery. Now, you, th you think about that, and it's like, man, that's hilarious, and yet, like, why would somebody continue to go back? Why would somebody continue to, like, what in the world would pull you back to that? And then you have to look at your own life, and you're thinking, yeah, that's comical when we think about somebody robbing a convenience store over and over again, and yet what about this, the bait that in, in, is enticing you? I mean, honestly, what about the different things that pull us in? Men, in our country, we have a very, very dangerous pornography problem. I heard one person say, hey, when should we get our kid a smartphone? And the answer this expert said was, when do you want him to look at porn? It's everywhere, and it's destroying lives. And people come back to it over and over and over again. There's the love of money. It just seems to get worse and worse and worse in our country. And people think that they've got it under control, and they're just going to do these different things, and all of a sudden, it's just got a grip on your heart. It is a bait with a hook behind it called materialism that will rip your heart to shreds. So how does Jesus address this perpetual need for us to return to the bait and the hook? Look at verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. To the unquenchable fire, and if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and to be thrown into hell. 
And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This, too, is pretty extreme. See that he, he, how he addresses the body. I, when I read this immediately, I noticed that he addresses the eyes and the hands and the feet. It's as if he's saying the, the, the temptation, the things that you see will tempt you, the things that you're doing with your hands will tempt you, and the places that you're going with your feet are also going to tempt you. Temptation is going to be all around you, and if you don't take it seriously, it will ultimately lead to your destruction because there's always a hook behind the bait, and that hook always wants to shred your life to pieces. So the metaphor is then not explained. Oftentimes, we've seen in our study of Mark, Jesus will have this profound teaching, then he'll pull his disciples aside and he'll say, hey, now let me explain to you kind of what I meant. He never does that with this. He never explains it. He leaves it open for the individual who hears the teaching to determine on their own what behaviors, what thoughts, what visual things, what activities are the bait for them in their life. He doesn't tell us what the bait is for everybody because it is different for everybody. We are all enticed and drawn in and lured in by different things, but the hook is the same. The hook is sin, and that sin wants to separate you from God and destroy every relationship that you have in your life. But it all starts by not taking it seriously enough. Sam Storms is a preacher. Uh, he said it this way. He says, Very little, if any, sin comes out of your heart that did not first enter through your eyes. Our external members are but instruments we employ to gratify the lust that emerges from within. What our Lord was advocating, therefore, was not a literal, literal physical self-maiming, but a ruthless moral self-denial. Not mutilation, but mortification is the path of holiness that he taught. So Jesus is not literally saying, cut off your hands, gouge out your eyes, and cut your feet off. What he is saying is, pay attention to the destruction that sin will bring into your life and take it very seriously to the point where you're putting that stuff to death. You're doing everything you can to kill that part, to, to kill it, to destroy that part of your life. A sign of spiritual maturity is someone understanding what tempts them and then taking the appropriate actions to do away with it. That is a sign of maturity. So when people exchange smartphones for flip phones and we say, are you that weak? No, they are that wise. When people put protection on, on different things and they, they take the steps to take sin seriously. They have somebody else check what they're, they're wearing or check their motives or check their intentions. They give somebody else access to look at the numbers and the bank account and what they're buying and what they're purchasing because they know my heart will deceive me. And I want to make sure I'm not biting the bait and getting hooked. Paul says it this way in Colossians. He's writing to this church in Colossae. In chapter 3, he says this. Take it this seriously. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Th this phrase, put to death, is not avoid it. Pretend that it's not there. Bounce your eyes. Think about something different. Get yourself distracted. No, he says, recognize that the problem's there. It is the elephant in the room of your heart. Recognize that the elephant is there. Recognize that it's a problem and put it to death. That's a public, public word in Paul's day. Drag it out into the street and let everybody know this part of me is dying. It is over. I'm taking it extremely seriously. Then he lists it out. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Same thing Jesus said. On account of these things, destruction to your life will happen. On account of these things, you will answer for them if you continually return to this. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
on, our, on, the, on the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's a serious thing. This is not, hey, just kind of maybe listen to it every once in a while, talk, read a good devotion, write in, like watch a nice video, write in your journal, take it kind of seriously. No, it's every day, pay attention to where the enemy's tempting you because when you stop paying attention to it, you're right where he wants you to be because then he'll dangle the perfect bait right in front of you with a dangerous hook sitting right behind it. Jesus kind of concludes this section. Verse 49, he says this, everyone will be salted with fire. And what he's saying there is this, you're going to be purified, you're going to be strengthened, you're going to be matured by going through these temptations. These are going to be used to actually strengthen you. The more you recognize this, the more you turn to Jesus. We're going to get to that here in a second. The more you allow these things to teach you and help you grow, the more you're going to be prepared. You're going to be salted with fire. You're going to learn from this. And unlike a fish, God's Spirit's going to give you a memory longer than five seconds. You're not going to be Dory from Nemo. Constantly, what, 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 what? No, it's, it's God's spirit is going to help you discern and see certain things. Verse 50, salt is good, but if it has lost its saltiness, meaning if you don't learn and you continually return to this, how will it make you salty again? Have salt in yourselves. Learn from all of these experiences and temptations. Learn from where you've been and be at peace with one another. Now, I need to be clear about a few things. This is where I began to wrestle as I was preparing this sermon. Teaching through the text, I, I love doing that. Then kind of making that shift to seeing, hey, making sure we're all on the same page here. Jesus and Paul in Colossians chapter 3 are not talking about working harder to earn your salvation. Remember, Jesus said, anyone who tempts one of these little ones who believe in me, they're already believers in him. They're already his children. Paul is writing to a church, a group of Christians living in a city called Colossae. Both times, he's not saying overcome sin, put these things to death so that God will be happy with you. That's not what he's saying at all. But in an effort to make sure we communicate that, we have lessened the importance of talking about how destructive sin is in our life and how seriously we must take it. I like the way Dallas Willard summarizes this. It's one of my favorite quotes, and I, I constantly play this back in my mind. He says this, grace is opposed to earning. You cannot earn your way, but it's not opposed to effort. The grace of God is, not a, is absolutely opposed to you earning anything because grace by its very nature is a gift that you receive that you do not deserve. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You're not going to accomplish it on your own. However, in response to that great gift that's been given to you, you can put a little bit of effort into living for Jesus and take seriously how bad sin can hurt you. And so how do you take this and make it applicable to people? This is, this is the challenge. I uh, went to a book uh, by a really, really old-time preacher named John Owen. He wrote a little book. You can, I think, buy this on Amazon called On the Mortification of Sin. And in this book, he deals with how many Christians, even the full-time Christians, you, you know what I'm talking about, the ones that take it real seriously, like, oh, we're all in, it's, it's K-Love or the radio is off. Those, I mean, they're just super serious. Even they let sins go unchecked. They just let it go unchecked in their life. And these sins begin to darken their hearts, choke out the power of God's word that has been exposed in their life. But these unchecked sins begin to choke out God's word in your life. Darken your ability to make good calls. And all of a sudden, you're making bad judgment calls left and right. And then you're missing opportunities that God has placed in front of you because you're too consumed with what's going on in your own life. And I sometimes ache for the opportunities I've missed in my life opportunities I've had to represent God, but I've been not paying attention to the power that certain sins have had in my life, not taking it serious enough, not putting it to death, not addressing the fact that this hook is trying to kill me because all I want is the bait. All I want is the good life. All I want is my best life now in these moments. 
and the, the hook is destroying me. I, I like the way that Owen says it. He says this, the vigor and the power and the comfort of our spiritual life depends on the mortification of the deeds of the flesh. If you want a strong spiritual life, you must take seriously what sin is doing to your heart. That's what he's saying. And the moment you stop taking sin seriously, do not expect to flourish spiritually. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. He goes on in the book to detail how we use the wrong weapons. The many preachers, we begin to teach these lessons that say, here's the four steps that you need to take to overcome temptation in your life. Here's the three things that you need to go and do. And look, that's way easier to preach than to say, look, Jesus didn't explain this. He said it, it applies to each individual individually. You have to figure out where you're tempted. I can't tell you specifically what temptations you're going to have and how here's three or four steps to deal with it. And when we do that, we reduce the gospel power down to a, a bunch of rules. Owen says it this way, these are just merely legal duties without the least mention of Christ or his spirit. So it can't be Jesus plus these three steps is how you overcome temptation. This text is telling me Jesus has to be enough. He has to be sufficient to the point where when I say Jesus must be enough, that's not lost on you. You're not bored with that truth. You've not heard it so many times you don't want to hear it anymore because you've been doing the hard work of generating the affection in your heart for Jesus over and over and over again. And so I want to offer you today not a step to take, but a perspective to adopt. I think the best advice that you can have for handling sin, handling temptation, and the power that it has in your life is this. Understand salvation and respond accordingly. You, you have to look at Jesus the whole time. And when you get your eyes off of him, it's no wonder your eyes are only going to be focused on yourself. And then you will not take the spiritual maturity of other people seriously and therefore cause them to sin. And then when you begin to live that kind of a life, you're not going to pay attention to the bait that is luring you in because that hook is going to be set in so deep into your heart, destroying you. We have to look to Jesus. I've put this on the screen before. I'm going to do it again because I think it's extremely important for us to understand how salvation works in life. The first is this. When you were saved... You were initially saved from the penalty of sin. The Bible calls this justification. So when I become a Christian, when I'm baptized into Christ, we had two baptisms yesterday here at the church, right? And when these two, this brother and sister were baptized, um, they had made this decision on their own. They're, they're a little bit older, one's married, really cool people. They came to Easter. They heard the gospel message. We sat down and talked. They were lowered into a watery grave. That old person died. They were raised to new life. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, that in that moment, their sins are forgiven, and they're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that will then do the second part of salvation, according to the Bible, which is, I was saved from the penalty of sin. I'm currently right now being saved from the power of sin. The Bible calls that sanctification. That is the work of the Holy Spirit every day in my life to help me resist the bait. Because those of us that are believers in Christ, you would say, sin still seems to be a problem. It didn't disappear because it's still here and it's still powerful. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to recognize the hook and the line and the enemy. And that is what sanctification is. The last stage is I will be saved when Christ returns from the very presence of sin. The Bible calls that glorification. That there's coming a day when the hook and the bait and the line are gone forever. And I can be free because sin won't even be present around me. This is what the Bible talks about when we're saved. Notice, here's what's fascinating. You can't do any of those on your own. 
You're powerless to justify yourself, sanctify yourself, or achieve glorification. You are powerless to save yourself from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, or from the presence of sin. You must rely on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died for those sins, resurrected for those sins. That deals with your past, your present, and your future. Everything wiped clean because of what Jesus did for you. And if that loses its power on your heart, when you come in and worship and sing songs about it, and you hear from God's word about it, and you take communion focusing on that truth, it's no wonder the bait's pulling you in. Because you've taken your eyes off of the only solution to the hook. And it's going to continue to wreak havoc on every relationship. And every part of your life, that hook is going to continue to rip through them until you get your eyes back on the only one who can help you recognize the hook for what it is. Recognize what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, now so not only in my presence but also in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works into will for his good pleasure. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What he's saying is stand in awe of Jesus. Fear and trembling is not cowering. It is standing in recognition of how awesome he is and you're just in awe of him and how you don't deserve him over and over and over again. You just stand in complete and total awe of the work of Jesus in your life. And here's what I love about it. Before he ever told us in Philippians 2, verse 12, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, before verse 12 came verses 5 through 11, where he said, have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but in humility he humbled himself became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for you. Keep your mind on that truth and you'll work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's also fascinating in Colossians chapter 3, before Paul ever says in verse 5, put to death the things that are causing you to sin. Put to death these things came verse 2 where he says in 2 and 3, keep your mind on the things above, not on the things that are below. It's as if he's saying before you're ever told what you need to do, you're told who you need to look to. Every single time. It's not about going out of here and trying harder. It's about going out here and creating a deep affection for Jesus in your heart so you can recognize the bait and the hook for what they are. So now, how do I close this out? This is where it's hard. And, and I thought, the be- my wife and I were talking, I thought, hey, the best way is to invite you in on a conversation me and Sarah have been having recently. We've got four children, 11, 9, 7, and 2. And we're a little bit fearful. Not fearful in the sense that I ever want you to email me and tell me how to be a parent. Don't do that. (laughs) Fearful in the sense that our kids are getting to the age where they're going to start noticing this bait that attracts them. They're not going to see the hook. I had a hard time getting through this because all three of my kids were sitting in for a service. And all I'm going to want to do so bad is tell them, don't go after that bait. Don't. I want to take the hook out of the water, but I can't. I can't. All I can do is say, look to Jesus. He did this for you. I'm telling you, if you'll just look to him, you'll see the bait and the hook for what they are. They're a trap. It's not the real thing. It's only going to satisfy you for a little while. This is what Jesus was telling us. You have a heavenly father that desperately wants to just look to Jesus. Just look at what he's done for you. Your past, your present, and your future are taken care of. See the bait. See the hook for what they are. That decision is up to you. Let's pray.